They had reached the door to the inn. Besides, Tannis added softly, I miss Lorana. Funny, isn't it? When she is near and we're busy about our own tasks, we'll sometimes go for days with just a quick smile or a touch, and then we disappear into our worlds. But when I'm far away from her, it's like I suddenly awaken to find my right arm cut off. I may not go to bed thinking of my right arm, but when it is gone... Tannis stopped abruptly, feeling foolish, afraid he sounded like a lovesick adolescent. But Chrysania, he realized, was apparently not paying the least bit of attention to him. Her smooth marble face had grown, if anything, more cold, until the moon's silver light seemed warm by comparison. Shaking his head, Tannis pushed open the door. I don't envy Caramon and Riverwind, he thought grimly. The warm, familiar sounds and smells of the inn washed over Tannis, and for long moments everything was a blur. Here was Otic, older and fatter, if possible, leaning upon a cane and pounding him on the back. Here were people he had not seen in years, who had never had much to do with him before, now shaking his hand and claiming his friendship. Here was the old bar, still brightly polished, and somehow he managed to step on a gully dwarf. And then there was a tall man cloaked in furs, and Tannis was clasped inside his friend's warm embrace. Riverwind, he whispered huskily, holding on to the plainsman tightly. My brother, Riverwind said in Quishu, the language of his people. The crowd in the inn was cheering wildly, but Tannis didn't hear them, because a woman with flaming red hair and a smattering of freckles had her hand upon his arm. Reaching out, still holding fast to Riverwind, Tannis gathered Tika into their embrace, and for long moments the three friends clung to each other, bound together by sorrow and pain and glory. Riverwind brought them to their senses. Unaccustomed to such public displays of emotion, the tall plainsman regained his composure with a gruff cough and stood back, blinking his eyes rapidly and frowning at the ceiling until he was master of himself again. Tannis, his reddish beard wet with his own tears, gave Tika another swift hug, then looked around. "'Where's that big lummox of a husband of yours?' he asked cheerfully. "'Where's Caramond?' It was a simple question, but Tannis was totally unprepared for the response. The crowd fell completely silent. It seemed as if someone had shut them all up in a barrel. Tika's face flushed an ugly red. She muttered something unintelligible and, bending down, dragged a gully dwarf up off the floor and shook him so his teeth rattled in his head. Startled, Tannis looked at Riverwind, but the plainsman only shrugged and raised his dark eyebrows. The half-elf turned to ask Tika what was going on, but just then felt a cool touch upon his arm. Chrysania. He had completely forgotten her. His own face flushing, he made his belated introductions. May I present... Chrysania of Tyrrhenius, revered daughter of Paladin, Tannis said formally. Lady Chrysania, Riverwind, chieftain of the Plainsmen, Antika Waylon Magir. Chrysania untied her traveling cloak and drew back her hood. As she did so, the platinum medallion she wore around her neck flashed in the bright candlelight of the inn. The woman's pure white lamb's wool robes peeped through the folds of her cloak. A murmur both reverent and respectful, went through the crowd. A holy cleric? Did you catch her name? Grisania. Next in line, Eliston's successor.
Chrysania inclined her head. Riverwind bowed from the waist, his face solemn. Antica, her own face still so flushed she appeared feverish, shoved Roth hurriedly behind the bar, then made a deep curtsy. At the sound of Tika's married name, Majir, Grisania glanced at Tanis questioningly and received his nod in return. I am honored, Grisania said in her rich, cool voice, to meet two whose deeds of courage shine as an example to us all. Tika flushed in pleased embarrassment. Riverwind's stern face did not change expression, but Tanis saw how much the cleric's praise meant to the deeply religious plainsman. As for the crowd, they cheered boisterously at this honor to their own and kept on cheering. Otic, with all due ceremony, led his guests to a waiting table, beaming on the heroes as if he had arranged the entire war especially for their benefit. Sitting down, Tanis at first felt disturbed by the confusion and noise, but soon decided it was beneficial. At least he could talk to Riverwind without fear of being overheard. But first, he had to find out, where was Caramon? Once again, he started to ask, but Tika, after seeing them seated and fussing over Chrysania like a mother hen, saw him open his mouth and, turning abruptly, disappeared into the kitchen. Tanis shook his head, puzzled, but before he could think about it further, Riverwind was asking him questions. The two were soon deeply involved in talk. Everyone thinks the war is over, Tanis said, sighing and that places us in worse danger than before. Alliances between elves and humans that were strong when times were dark are beginning to melt in the sun. Lorana's in Qualinesti now, attending the funeral of her father, and also trying to arrange an agreement with that stiff-necked brother of hers, Portheos, and the kings of Salamnia. The only ray of hope we have is in Portheos's wife, Alhana Starbreeze, Tanis smiled. I never thought I would live to see that elf woman not only tolerant of humans and other races, but even warmly supporting them to her intolerant husband. A strange marriage, Riverwind commented, and Tanis nodded in agreement. Both men's thoughts were with their friend, the knight, Strum Brightblade, now lying dead, hero of the High Clarist's Tower. Both knew Alhana's heart had been buried there in the darkness with Sturm. Certainly not a marriage of love, Tanis shrugged, but it may be a marriage that will help restore order to the world. Now, what of you, my friend? Your face is dark and drawn with new worries, as well as beaming with new joy. Goldmoon sent Lorana word of the twins. Riverwind smiled briefly. You are right. I begrudge every minute I am away, the plainsman said in his deep voice. Though seeing you again, my brother, lightens my heart's burden but I left two tribes on the verge of war. So far, I have managed to keep them talking, and there has been no bloodshed yet. But malcontents work against me, behind my back. Every minute I am away gives them a chance to stir up old blood feuds. Tanis clasped his arm. I am sorry, my friend, and I am grateful you came. Then he sighed again and glanced at Chrysania, realizing he had new problems. I had hoped you would be able to offer this lady your guidance and protection. His voice sank to a murmur. She travels to the Tower of High Sorcery in Weyrith Forest. Riverwind's eyes widened in alarm and disapproval. The plainsman distrusted mages and anything connected to them. Tanis nodded. 
I see you remember Caramon's stories about the time he and Raceland traveled there, and they had been invited. This lady goes without invitation to seek the mage's advice about. Crisania gave him a sharp, imperious glance. Frowning, she shook her head. Tanis, biting his lip, added lamely, "I was hoping you could escort her." I feared as much," said Riverwind, "when I received your message, and that was why I felt I had to come, to offer you some explanation for my refusal. If it were any other time, you know I would gladly help, and in particular, I would be honored to offer my services to a person so revered." He bowed slightly to Crisania, who accepted his homage with a smile that vanished instantly when she returned her gaze to Tanis. A small, deep line of anger appeared between her brows. Riverwind continued, "But there is too much at stake. The peace I have established between the tribes, many who have been at war for years, is a fragile one. Our survival as a nation and a people depend upon us uniting and working together to rebuild our land and our lives." "I understand," Tanis said. Touched by Riverwind's obvious unhappiness in having to refuse his request for help, the half-elf caught Lady Crisania's displeased stare. However, and he turned to her with grim politeness. "All will be well, revered daughter," he said, speaking with elaborate patience. "Caramon will guide you, and he is worth three of us ordinary mortals, right, Riverwind?" The plainsman smiled, old memories returning. "He can eat as much as three ordinary mortals, certainly." And he is as strong as three or more. Do you remember Tannis when he used to lift stout, pig-faced William off his feet? When we put on that show in, where was it, Flotsam? And that time he killed those two Draconians by bashing their heads together. Tannis laughed, feeling the darkness of the world suddenly lift in sharing those times with his friend. And do you remember when we were in the Dwarven Kingdom and Caramon sneaked up behind Flint and? Leaning forward, Tanis whispered in Riverwind's ear. The plainsman's face flushed with laughter. He recounted another tale, and the two men continued, recalling stories of Caramon's strength, his skill with the sword, his courage and honor, and his gentleness. Tanis added, after a moment's quiet reflection, "I can see him now, tending to Raceland so patiently, holding his brother in his arms, when those coughing fits nearly tore the mage apart." He was interrupted by a smothered cry, a crash, and a thud. Turning in astonishment, Tanis saw Tika staring at him, her face white, her green eyes glimmering with tears. "Leave now," she pleaded through pale lips. "Please, Tanis, don't ask any questions. Just go." She grabbed his arm, her nails digging painfully into his flesh. "Look, what in the name of the abyss is going on, Tika?" Tanis asked in exasperation, standing up and facing her. A splintering crash came in answer. The door to the inn burst open, hit from outside by some tremendous force. Tika jumped back, her face convulsed in such fear and horror as she looked at the door that Tanis turned swiftly, his hand on his sword, and Riverwind rose to his feet. A large shadow filled the doorway, seeming to spread a pall over the room. The crowd's cheerful noise and laughter ceased abruptly, changing to low, angry mutterings. Remembering the dark and evil things that had been chasing them, Tanis drew his sword, placing himself between the darkness and Lady Crisania. He sensed 
though he did not see Riverwind's stalwart presence behind him, backing him up. So, it's caught up with us, Tannis thought, almost welcoming the chance to fight this vague, unknown terror. Grimly, he stared at the door, watching as a bloated, grotesque figure entered into the light. It was a man, Tannis saw, a huge man. But as he looked more closely, he saw it was a man whose giant girth had run to flab. A bulging belly hung over cinched-up leather leggings. A filthy shirt gaped open at the navel, there being too little shirt to cover too much flesh. The man's face, partially obscured by a three-day growth of beard, was unnaturally flushed and blotchy, his hair greasy and unkempt. His clothes, while fine and well-made, were dirty and smelled strongly of vomit and the raw liquor known as dwarf spirits. Tannis lowered his sword, feeling like a fool. It was just some poor drunken wretch, probably the town bully, using his great size to intimidate the citizenry. He looked at the man with pity and disgust, thinking, even as he did so, that there was something oddly familiar about him, probably someone he had known when he lived in Solace long ago, some poor slob who had fallen on hard times. The half-elf started to turn away, then noticed, to his amazement, that everyone in the inn was looking at him expectantly. What do they want me to do? Tannis thought in sudden, swift anger. Attack him? Some hero I'd look, beating up the town drunk. Then he heard a sob at his elbow. I told you to leave, Tika moaned, sinking down into a chair. Burying her face in her hands, she began to cry as if her heart would break. Growing more and more mystified, Tannis glanced at Riverwind, but the plainsman was obviously as much in the dark as his friend. The drunk, meanwhile, staggered into the room and gazed about in anger. "'Wash is this? A party?' he growled. "'And nobody in invited their old... invited me?' No one answered. They were fixedly ignoring the slovenly man, their eyes still on Tannis, and now... Even the drunk's attention turned to the half-elf. Attempting to bring him into focus, the drunk stared at Tannis in a kind of puzzled anger, as though blaming him for being the cause of all his troubles. Then, suddenly, the drunk's eyes widened, his face split into a foolish grin, and he lurched forward, hands outstretched. Tannis! My fr... Name of the gods! Tannis breathed, recognizing him at last. The man staggered forward and stumbled over a chair. For a moment, he stood swaying unsteadily, like a tree that has been cut and is ready to fall. His eyes rolled back in his head. People scrambled to get out of his way. Then, with a thud that shook the inn, Karaman Majir, hero of the lance, passed out cold at Tannis' feet. Chapter 3 Name of the gods, Tannis repeated in sorrow as he stooped down beside the comatose warrior. Caramon! Tannis. Riverwind's voice caused the half-elf to glance up quickly. The plainsman held Tika in his arms, both he and Desra trying to comfort the distraught young woman. But people were pressing close, trying to question Riverwind or asking Chrysania for a blessing. Others were demanding more ale or just standing around gawking. Tannis rose swiftly to his feet. The inn is closed for the night, he shouted. 
There were jeers from the crowd, except for some scattered applause near the back, where several customers thought he was buying a round of drinks. No, I mean it, Tannis said firmly, his voice carrying over the noise. The crowd quieted. Thank you all for this welcome. I cannot tell you what it means to me to come back to my homeland, but my friends and I would like to be alone now. Please, it is late. There were murmurs of sympathy and some good-natured clapping. Only a few scowled and muttered comments about the greater the night, the more his own armor glares in his eyes. An old saying from the days when the Salamnic Nights were held in derision. Riverwind, leaving Desra to take care of Tika, came forward to prod those few stragglers who assumed Tannis meant everyone except them. The half-elf stood guard over Caramon, who was snoring blissfully on the floor, keeping people from stepping on the big man. He exchanged glances with Riverwind as the plainsman passed, but neither had time to speak until the inn was emptied. Odic Sandith stood by the door, thanking everyone for coming and assuring each that the inn would be open again tomorrow night. When everyone else had gone, Tannis stepped up to the retired proprietor, feeling awkward and embarrassed. But Odic stopped him before he could speak. Gripping Tannis's hand in his, the elderly man whispered, I'm glad you've come back. Lock up when you're finished. He glanced at Tika, then motioned the half-elf forward conspiratorially. Tannis, he said in a whisper, if you happen to see Tika take a little out of the money box, pay it no mind. She'll pay it back someday. I just pretend not to notice. His gaze went to Caramon, and he shook his head sadly. I know you'll be able to help, he murmured. Then he nodded and stumped off into the night, leaning on his cane. Help, Tannis thought wildly. We came seeking his help. Caramon snored particularly loudly, half woke himself up, belched up great fumes of dwarf spirits, then settled back down to sleep. Tannis looked bleakly at Riverwind, then shook his head in despair. Chrysania stared down at Caramon in pity, mingled with disgust. Poor man, she said softly. The medallion of Paladin shone in the candlelight. Perhaps I... There's nothing you can do for him, Tika cried bitterly. He doesn't need healing. He's drunk. Can't you see that? Dead drunk. Grisania's gaze turned to Tika in astonishment. But before the cleric could say anything, Tannis hurried back to Caramon. Help me, Riverwind, he said, bending down. Let's get him home. Oh, leave him, Tika snapped, wiping her eyes with the corner of her apron. He's spent enough nights on the barroom floor. Another won't matter. She turned to Tannis. I wanted to tell you, I really did, but I thought, I kept hoping. He was excited when your letter arrived. He was, well, more like himself than I've seen him in a long time. I thought maybe this might do it. He might change. So I let you come. She hung her head. I'm sorry. Tannis stood beside the big warrior, irresolute. I don't understand. How long... It's why we couldn't come to your wedding, Tannis, Tika said, twisting her apron into knots. I wanted to so much, but... She began to cry again. Desra put her arms around her. Sit down, Tika, Desra murmured, helping her to a seat in a high-backed wooden booth. Tika sank down, her legs suddenly giving out beneath her. Then she hid her head in her arms. Let's all sit down, Tannis said firmly, and get our wits about us. 
You there. The half-elf beckoned to the gully dwarf, who was peering out at them from beneath the wooden bar. Bring us a pitcher of ale and some mugs, wine for Lady Chrysania, some spiced potatoes. Tannis paused. The confused gully dwarf was staring at him, round-eyed, his mouth hanging open in confusion. Better let me get it for you, Tannis, Desra offered, smiling. You'd probably end up with a pitcher of potatoes if Roth went after it. Me help, Roth protested indignantly. You take out the garbage, Desra snapped. Me big help, Roth mumbled disconsolately as he shuffled out, kicking at the table legs to relieve his hurt feelings. Your rooms are in the new part of the inn, Tika mumbled. I'll show you. We'll find them later, Riverwind said sternly. But as he looked at Tika, his eyes were filled with gentle sympathy. Sit and talk to Tannis. He has to leave soon. Damn, my horse, Tannis said, starting up suddenly. I asked the boy to bring it around. I will go have them wait, Riverwind offered. No, I'll go. It'll just take a moment. My friend, Riverwind said, softly, as he went past him. I need to be outdoors. I'll come back to help with... He nodded his head toward the snoring caramon. Tannis sat back down, relieved. The plainsman left. Chrysanius sat down beside Tannis on the opposite side of the table, staring at Caramon in perplexity. Tannis kept talking to Tika about small, inconsequential matters until she was able to sit up and even smile a little. By the time Desra returned with drinks, Tika seemed more relaxed, though her face was still drawn and strained. Chrysania, Tannis noticed, barely touched her wine. She simply sat, glancing occasionally at Caramon the dark line appearing once again between her brows. Tannis knew he should explain to her what was going on, but he wanted someone to explain it to him first. When did this... He began hesitantly. Start? Tika sighed. About six months after we got back here, her gaze went to Caramon. He was so happy. At first, the town was a mess, Tannis. The winter had been terrible for the survivors. Most of them were starving, the draconians and goblin soldiers took everything. Those whose houses had been destroyed were living in whatever shelter they could find. Caves, lean-to hovels. The draconians had abandoned the town by the time we got back, and people were beginning to rebuild. They welcomed Caramon as a hero. The bards had been here already, singing their songs about the defeat of the queen. Tika's eyes shimmered with tears and remembered pride. He was so happy, Tannis, for a while. People needed him. He worked day and night, cutting trees, hauling timber from the hills, putting up houses. He even took up smithy work, since Theros was gone. Oh, he wasn't very good at it, Tika smiled sadly. But he was happy, and no one really minded. He made nails and horseshoes and wagon wheels. That first year was good for us, truly good. We were married and Caramon seemed to forget about... about... Tika swallowed. Tannis patted her hand, and, after eating a little and drinking some wine in silence, Tika was able to continue. A year ago last spring, though, everything started to change. Something happened to Caramon. I'm not sure what. It had something to do with... She broke off, shook her head. The town was prosperous... A blacksmith who had been held captive at Pax Tharkis moved here and took over the smithy trade. Oh, people still needed houses built, but there was no hurry. 
I took over running the inn. Tika shrugged. I guess Karaman just had too much time on his hands. No one needed him, Tanis said grimly. Not even me, Tika said, gulping and wiping her eyes. Maybe it's my fault. No, said Tanis, his thoughts and his memories far away. Not your fault, Tika. I think we know whose fault this is. Anyway, Tika drew a deep breath. I tried to help, but I was so busy here. I suggested all sorts of things he could do, and he tried. He really did. He helped the local constable, tracking down renegade draconians. He was a bodyguard for a while, hiring out to people traveling to Haven. But no one ever hired him twice. Her voice dropped. Then one day, last winter, the party he'd been supposed to protect returned, dragging him on a sled. He was dead drunk. They'd ended up protecting him. Since then, he spent all his time either sleeping, eating, or hanging out with some ex-mercenaries at the trough, that filthy place at the other end of town. Wishing Lorana was here to discuss such matters, Tanis suggested softly, Maybe a... Mm, baby? I was pregnant last summer, Tika said dully, leaning her head on her hand. But not for long. I miscarried. Karaman never even knew. Since then? She stared down at the wooden table. Well, we haven't been sleeping in the same room. Flushing in embarrassment, Tanis could do nothing more than pat her hand and hurriedly change the subject. You said a moment before it had something to do with... With what? Tika shivered and took another drink of wine. Rumors started then, Tanis, she said in a low, hushed voice. Dark rumors. You can guess who they were about. Tanis nodded. Karaman wrote to him, Tanis. I saw the letter. It was... It tore my heart. Not a word of blame or reproach. It was filled with love. He begged his brother to come back and live with us. He pleaded with him to turn his back on the darkness. And what happened? Tanis asked, though he already guessed the answer. It came back, Tika whispered, unopened. The seal wasn't even broken. And on the outside was written, I have no brother. I know no one named Karamon. And it was signed, Raislin. Raislin? Chrysania looked at Tika, as if seeing her for the first time. Her gray eyes were wide and startled as they went from the red-haired young woman to Tanis, then to the huge warrior on the floor, who belched comfortably in his drunken sleep. Karamon, this is Karamon Majir? This is his brother? The twin you were telling me about? The man who could guide me? I'm sorry, revered daughter, Tanis said, flushing. I had no idea he... But Raceland is so... intelligent, powerful... I thought his twin must be the same. Raceland is sensitive. He exerts such strong control over himself and those who serve him. He is a perfectionist. While this, Grisania gestured, this pathetic wretch, while he deserves our pity and our prayers, is... Your sensitive and intelligent perfectionist had a hand in making this man the pathetic wretch you see, revered daughter. Tanis said acidly, keeping his anger carefully under control. Perhaps it was the other way around, Grisania said, regarding Tanis coldly. Perhaps it was for lack of love that Raceland turned from the light to walk in darkness. 
Tika looked up at Chrysania, an odd expression in her eyes. Lack of love? She repeated gently. Caramon moaned in his sleep and began thrashing about on the floor. Tika rose quickly to her feet. We better get him home. She glanced up to see Riverwind's tall figure appear in the doorway, then turned to Tannis. I'll see you in the morning, won't I? Couldn't you stay, just overnight? Tannis looked at her pleading eyes and felt like biting off his tongue before he answered. But there was no help for it. I'm sorry, Tika, he said, taking her hands. I wish I could, but I must go. It is a long ride to Qualinost from here, and I dare not be late. The fate of two kingdoms, perhaps, depends on my being there. I understand, Tika said softly. This isn't your problem anyway. I'll cope. Tannis could have torn out his beard with frustration. He longed to stay and help, if he even could help. At least he might talk with Caramon, try to get some sense into that thick skull. But Portheos would take it as a personal affront if Tannis did not come to the funeral, which would affect not only his personal relationships with Lorana's brother, but would affect the Treaty of Alliance being negotiated between Qualinesti and Salamnia. And then, his eyes going to Chrysania, Tannis realized he had another problem. He groaned inwardly. He couldn't take her to Qualinost. Portheos had no use for human clerics. Look, Tannis said, suddenly getting an idea. I'll come back after the funeral. Tika's eyes brightened. He turned to Lady Chrysania. I'll leave you here, revered daughter. You'll be safe in this town, in the inn. Then I can escort you back to Palanthus, since your journey has failed. My journey has not failed, Chrysania said resolutely. I will continue as I began. I intend to go to the Tower of High Sorcery at Weyrath, there to counsel with Par Salian of the White Robes. Tanish shook his head. I cannot take you there, he said, and Caramon obviously is incapable. Therefore I suggest... Yes, Chrysania interrupted complacently. Caramon is clearly incapacitated. Therefore, I will wait for the kinder friend of yours to meet me here with the person he was sent to find. Then I will continue on my own. Absolutely not, Tannis shouted. Riverwind raised his eyebrows, reminding Tannis who he was addressing. With an effort, the half-elf regained control. My lady, you have no idea of the danger. Besides those dark things that pursued us, and I think we all know who sent them, I've heard Caramon's stories about the forest of Weyrath. It's darker still. We'll go back to Palanthus. I'll find some knights. For the first time, Tannis saw a pale stain of color touch Chrysania's marble cheeks. Her dark brows contracted as she seemed to be thinking. Then her face cleared. Looking up at Tannis, she smiled. There is no danger, she said. I am in Paladin's hands. The dark creatures may have been sent by Raceland, but they have no power to harm me. They have merely strengthened my resolve. Seeing Tannis's face grow even grimmer, she sighed. I promise this much. I will think about it. Perhaps you are right. Perhaps the journey is too dangerous. And a waste of time, Tannis muttered, sorrow and exhaustion making him speak bluntly, what he had felt all along about this woman's crazy scheme. If Par Salian could have destroyed Raceland, he would have done it long before. Destroy! Chrysania regarded Tannis in shock, her gray eyes cold. I do not seek his destruction. Tannis stared at her in amazement. 
I seek to reclaim him, Grisania continued. I will go to my rooms now, if someone will be so kind as to guide me to them. Desra hurried forward. Grisania calmly bade them all good night, then followed Desra from the room. Tannis gazed after her, totally at a loss for words. He heard Riverwind mutter something in Quishu. Then Caramon groaned again. Riverwind nudged Tannis. Together they bent over the slumbering Caramon and, with an effort, hauled the big man to his feet. Name of the abyss, he's heavy, Tannis gasped, staggering under the man's dead weight as Caramon's flaccid arms flopped over his shoulders. The putrid smell of the dwarf spirits made him gag. How can he drink that stuff? Tennis said to Riverwind as the two dragged the drunken man to the door, Tika following along anxiously behind. I saw a warrior fall victim to that curse once, Riverwind grunted. He perished, leaping over a cliff, being chased by creatures that were there only in his mind. I should stay, Tennis muttered. You cannot fight another's battle, my friend, Riverwind said firmly, especially when it is between a man and his own soul. It was past midnight when Tannis and Riverwind had Caramon safely at home and dumped unceremoniously into his bed. Tannis had never been so tired in his life. His shoulders ached from carrying the dead weight of the giant warrior. He was worn out and felt drained. His memories of the past, once pleasant, were now like old wounds, open and bleeding. And he still had hours to ride before morning. I wish I could stay he repeated again to Tika as they stood together with Riverwind outside her door, gazing out over the sleeping, peaceful town of Solace. I feel responsible. No, Tannis, Tika said quietly. Riverwind's right. You can't fight this war. You have your own life to live now. Besides, there's nothing you can do. You might only make things worse. I suppose, Tannis frowned. At any rate, I'll be back in about a week. I'll talk to Karaman then. That would be nice, Tika sighed. Then, after a pause, changed the subject. By the way, what did Lady Chrysania mean about a kender coming here? Tasselhoff? Yes, Tannis said, scratching his beard. It has something to do with Raceland, though I'm not sure what. We ran into Toss in Palanthus. He started in on some of his stories. I warned her that only about half of what he says is true, and even that half's nonsense— but he probably convinced her to send him after some person she thinks can help her reclaim Raceland. The woman may be a holy cleric of Paladin, Riverwind said sternly, and may the gods forgive me if I speak ill of one of their chosen, but I think she's mad. Having made this pronouncement, he slung his bow over his shoulder and prepared to depart. Tanis shook his head. Putting his arm around Tika, he kissed her. I'm afraid Riverwind's right he said to her softly. Keep an eye on Lady Chrysania while she's here. I'll have to talk with Elliston about her when we return. I wonder how much he knew about this weird scheme of hers. Oh, and if Tasselhoff does show up, hang on to him, will you? I don't want him turning up in Qualinost. I'm going to have enough trouble with Portheos and the elves as it is. Sure, Tannis, Tika said softly. For a moment, she nestled close to him, letting herself be comforted by his strength and the compassion she could sense in both his touch and his voice. Tannis hesitated, holding her, reluctant to let her go. Glancing inside the small house, he could hear Caramon crying out in his sleep. 
Tika, he began, but she pushed herself away. Go along, Tannis, she said firmly. You've got a long ride ahead of you. Tika, I wish... But there was nothing he could say that would help, and they both knew it. Turning slowly, he trudged off after Riverwind. Watching them go, Tika smiled. You are very wise, Tannis half-elven, but this time you are wrong, she said to herself as she stood alone on her porch. Lady Chrysania isn't mad. She's in love. Chapter 4 An army of dwarves was marching around the bedroom, their steel-shod boots going thud, thud, thud. Each dwarf had a hammer in his hand, and as he marched past the bed, he banged it against Caramon's head. Caramon groaned and flapped his hands feebly. Get away, he muttered. Get away! But the dwarves only responded by lifting his bed up onto their strong shoulders and whirling it around at a rapid pace as they continued to march, their boots striking the wooden floor. Thud, thud, thud. Caramon felt his stomach heave. After several desperate tries, he managed to leap out of the revolving bed and make a clumsy dash for the chamber pot in the corner. Having vomited, he felt better. His head cleared. The dwarves disappeared, although he suspected they were hiding beneath the bed, waiting for him to lie down again. Instead, he opened a drawer in the tiny bedside table where he kept his small flask of dwarf spirits. Gone! Caramon scowled. So, Tika was playing this game again, was she? Grinning smugly, Caramon stumbled over to the large clothes chest on the other side of the room. He lifted the lid and rummaged through tunics and pants and shirts that would no longer fit over his flabby body. There it was, tucked into an old boot. Caramon withdrew the flask lovingly, took a swig of the fiery liquor, belched, and heaved a sigh. There, the hammering in his head was gone. He glanced around the room. Let the dwarves stay under the bed. He didn't care. There was a clink of crockery in the other room. Tika. Hurriedly, Caramon took another sip, then closed the flask and tucked it back into the boot again. Shutting the lid very, very quietly, he straightened up, ran a hand through his tangled hair, and started to go out into the main living area. Then he caught a glimpse of himself in a mirror as he passed. Change my shirt, he muttered thickly. After much pulling and tugging, he dragged off the filthy shirt he was wearing and tossed it in a corner. Perhaps he should wash? Ah, what was he, a sissy? So he smelled. It was a manly smell. Plenty of women liked it, found it attractive, found him attractive. Never complained or nagged, not like Tika. Why shouldn't she take him as he was? Struggling into a clean shirt he found at the foot of the bed, Caramon felt very sorry for himself. No one understood him. Life was hard. He was going through a bad time just now. But that would change. Just wait. Someday. Tomorrow, maybe. Lurching out of the bedroom, trying to appear nonchalant, Caramon walked unsteadily across the neat, clean living room and collapsed into a chair at the eating table. The chair creaked under his great weight. Tika turned around. Catching her glance, Caramon sighed. Tika was mad. Again. He tried grinning at her, but it was a sickly grin and didn't help. 
her red curls bouncing in anger, she whirled around and disappeared through a door into the kitchen. Caramon winced as he heard heavy iron pots bang. The sound brought the dwarves and their hammers back. Within a few moments, Tika returned, carrying a huge dish of sizzling bacon, fried maize cakes, and eggs. She slammed the plate down in front of him with such force the cakes leaped three inches into the air. Caramon winced again. He wondered briefly about eating, considering the queasy state of his stomach, then grouchily reminded his stomach who was boss. He was starved. He couldn't remember when he'd eaten last. Tika flounced down in a chair next to him. Glancing up, he saw her green eyes blazing. Her freckles stood out clearly against her skin, a certain sign of fury. All right, Caramon growled, shoveling food into his mouth. What'd I do now? You don't remember. It was a statement. Caramon cast about hastily in the foggy regions of his mind. Something stirred vaguely. He was supposed to have been somewhere last night. He'd stayed home all day, getting ready. He'd promised Tika, but he'd grown thirsty. His flask was empty. He'd just go down to the trough for a quick nip, then to... Where? Why? I had business to attend to, Caramon said, avoiding Tika's gaze. Yes, we saw your business, Tika snapped bitterly. The business that made you pass out right at Tannis' feet. Tannis! Caramon dropped his fork. Tannis! Last night! With a heartsick moan, the big man let his aching head sink into his hands. You made quite a spectacle of yourself, Tika continued, her voice choked. In front of the entire town, plus half the elves in Kren, not to mention our old friends. She was weeping quietly now. Our best friends. Caramon groaned again. Now he was crying too. Why? Why? He blubbered. Tannis, of all of them. His self-recriminations were interrupted by a banging on the front door. Now what? Tika muttered rising and wiping her tears away with the sleeve of her blouse. Maybe it's Tannis, after all. Caramon lifted his head. Try at least to look like the man you once were, Tika said under her breath as she hurried to the door. Throwing the bolt, she unlatched it. Anik, she said in astonishment. What are... whose food? The rotund elderly innkeeper stood in the doorway, a plate of steaming food in his hand. He peered past Tika, isn't she here? he asked, startled. Isn't who here? Tika replied, confused. There's no one here. Oh, dear. Otik's face grew solemn. Absently, he began to eat the food from the plate. Then I guess the stable boy was right. She's gone. And after I fix this nice breakfast. Who's gone? Tika demanded in exasperation, wondering if he meant Desra. Lady Chrysania. She's not in her room. Her things aren't there either. And the stable boy said she came this morning, told him to saddle her horse, and left. I thought, Lady Chrysania, Tika gasped. She's gone off by herself. Of course she would. What? asked Otik, still munching. Nothing, Tika said, her face pale. Nothing, Otik. Uh, you better get back to the inn. I'll... I may be a little late today. Sure, Tika. Otik said kindly, having seen Caramon hunched over the table. 
Get there when you can. Then he left, eating as he walked. Tika shut the door behind him. Seeing Tika return, and knowing he was in for a lecture, Karaman rose clumsily to his feet. I'm not feeling too good, he said. Lurching across the floor, he staggered into the bedroom, slamming the door shut behind him. Tika could hear the sound of racking sobs from inside. She sat down at the table, thinking. Lady Chrysania had gone. She was going to find Wayworth Forest by herself, or rather, she had gone in search of it. No one ever found it, according to legend. It found you. Tika shivered, remembering Karaman's stories. The Dread Forest was on maps, but, comparing them, no two maps ever agreed on its location. And there was always a symbol of warning beside it. At its center stood the Tower of High Sorcery of Weyrath, where all the power of the mages of Ancelon was now concentrated. Well, almost all. In sudden resolution, Tika got up and thrust open the bedroom door. Going inside, she found Karaman flat upon the bed, sobbing and blubbering like a child. Hardening her heart against this pitiful sight, Tika walked with firm steps over to the large chest of clothes. As she threw open the lid and began sorting through the clothes, she found the flask, but simply tossed it into a corner of the room. Then, at the very bottom, she came upon what she had been searching for. Karaman's armor. Lifting out a quiss by its leather strap, Tika stood up and, turning around, hurled the polished metal straight at Karaman. It struck him in the shoulder, bouncing off to fall to the floor with a clatter. Ouch! the big man cried, sitting up. Name of the abyss, Tika! Leave me alone for... You're going after her, Tika said firmly, lifting out another piece of armor. You're going after her if I have to haul you out of here in a wheelbarrow. Uh, pardon me, said a kender to a man loitering near the edge of the road on the outskirts of Solace. The man instantly clapped his hand over his purse. I'm looking for the home of a friend of mine. Well, actually, two friends of mine. One's a woman, pretty, with red curls. Her name is Tika Whalen. Glaring at the kinder, the man jerked a thumb. Over there, yonder. Tosh looked. There, he said, pointing, impressed. That truly magnificent house in the new Valenwood? What? The man gave a brief, sharp laugh. What'd you call it? Truly magnificent. That's a good one. Still chuckling, he walked off, laughing and hastily counting the coins in his purse at the same time. How rude, Tass thought, absently slipping the man's pocket knife into one of his pouches. Then, promptly forgetting the incident, the kinder headed for Tika's home. His gaze lingered fondly on each detail of the fine house, nestled securely in the limbs of the still-growing Valenwood tree. I'm so glad for Tika, Tass remarked, to what appeared to be a mound of clothes with feet walking beside him. And for Karaman, too, he added. But Tika's never really had a true home of her own. How proud she must be. As he approached the house, Toss saw it was one of the better homes in the township. It was built in the ages-old tradition of solace. The delicate turns of the vaulting gables were shaped to appear to be part of the tree itself. Each room extended off from the main body of the house, the wood of the walls carved and polished to resemble the tree trunk. The structure conformed to the shape of the tree, 
a peaceful harmony existed between man's work and nature's to create a pleasing whole. Taz felt a warm glow in his heart as he thought of his two friends working on and living in such a wonderful dwelling. Then, that's funny, said Taz to himself. I wonder why there's no roof. As he drew closer, looking at the house more intently, he noticed it was missing quite a few things, a roof among them. The great vaulting gables actually did nothing more than form a framework for a roof that wasn't there. The walls of the rooms extended only partway around the building. The floor was only a barren platform. Coming to stand right beneath it, Taz peered upwards, wondering what was going on. He could see hammers and axes and saws lying out in the open, rusting away. From their looks, they hadn't been used in months. The structure itself was showing the effects of long exposure to weather. Taz tugged his topknot thoughtfully. The building had all the makings of the most magnificent structure in all of Solace, if it was ever finished. Then Taz brightened. One section of the house was finished. All of the glass had been carefully placed into the window frames. The walls were intact. A roof protected the room from the elements. At least Tika has one room of her own, the kinder thought. But as he studied the room more closely, his smile faded. Above the door, he could see clearly, despite some weathering, the carefully crafted mark denoting a wizard's residence. I might have known, Toss said, shaking his head. He glanced around. Well, Tika and Karaman certainly can't be living there. But that man said, Oh. As he walked around the huge Valenwood tree, he came upon a small house, almost lost amidst overgrown weeds, hidden by the shadow of the Valenwood tree. Obviously built only as a temporary measure, it had the look of becoming all too permanent. If ever a building could look unhappy, Taz mused, this one did. Its gables sagged into a frown. Its paint was cracked and peeling. Still, there were flowers in the window boxes and frilly curtains in the windows. The kinder sighed. So this was Tika's house, built in the shadow of a dream. Approaching the little house, he stood outside the door, listening attentively. There was the most awful commotion going on inside. He could hear thuds and glass breaking and shouts and thumping. I think you better wait out here, Toss said to the bundle of clothes. The bundle grunted and plopped itself comfortably down into the muddy road outside the house. Toss glanced at it uncertainly, then shrugged and walked up to the door. Putting his hand on the doorknob, he turned it and took a step forward, confidently expecting to walk right in. Instead, he smashed his nose on the wood. The door was locked. That's odd, Toss said stepping back and looking around. What is Tika thinking about? Locking doors. How barbaric. And a bolt lock at that. I'm sure I was expected. He stared at the lock gloomily. The shouts and yells continued inside. He thought he could hear Karaman's deep voice. It sure sounds interesting in there. Taz glanced around and felt cheered immediately. The window, of course. But on hurrying over to the window, Toss found it locked, too. I never would have expected that of Tika, of all people, the kinder commented sadly to himself. Studying the lock, he noticed it was a simple one and would open quite easily. 
From the set of tools in his pouch, Tosh removed the lock-picking device that is a kinder's birthright. Inserting it, he gave it an expert twist and had the satisfaction of hearing the lock click. Smiling happily, he pushed the pane glass open and crawled inside. He hit the floor without a sound. Peering back out the window, he saw the shapeless bundle napping in the gutter. Relieved on that point, Tasselhoff paused to look around the house. His sharp eyes taking in everything, his hands touching everything. My, isn't this interesting? Went Tasselhoff's running commentary as he headed for the closed door from beyond which came the crashing sounds. Tika won't mind if I study it for a moment. I'll put it right back. The object tumbled of its accord into his pouch. And look at this. Uh oh, there's a crack in it. She'll thank me for telling her about it. That object slipped into another pouch. And what's the butter dish doing clear over here? I'm sure Tika kept it in the pantry. I better return it to its proper place. The butter dish settled into a third pouch. By this time, Tas had reached the closed door. Turning the handle, he was thankful to see Tika hadn't locked it as well. He walked inside. Hello, he said merrily. Remember me? Say, this looks like fun. Can I play? Give me something to throw at him too, Tika. Gee, Karaman. Taz entered the bedroom and walked over to where Tika stood, a breastplate in her hand, staring at him in profound astonishment. What is the matter with you? You look awful, just awful. Say, why are we throwing armor at Karaman, Tika? Taz asked, picking up a chainmail vest and turning to face the big warrior who had barricaded himself behind the bed. Is this something you two do regularly? I've heard married couples do some strange things, but this seems kind of weird. Tasselhoff Burfoot, Tika recovered her power of speech. What in the name of the gods are you doing here? Why, I'm sure Tannis must have told you I was coming, Toss said, hurling the chainmail at Karamod. Hey, this is fun. I found the front door locked. Toss gave her a reproachful glance. In fact. I had to come in a window, Tika," he said severely. "I think you might have more consideration. Anyway, I'm supposed to meet Lady Chrysania here, and..." To Taz's amazement, Tika dropped the breastplate, burst into tears, and collapsed onto the floor. The Kinder looked over at Karaman, who was rising up from behind the backboard, like a specter rising from the grave. Karaman stood looking at Tika with a lost and wistful expression. Then he picked his way through pieces of armor that lay scattered about on the floor and knelt down beside her. Tika, he whispered pathetically, patting her shoulder. I'm sorry. I didn't mean all those things I said. You know that. I love you. I've always loved you. It's just, I don't know what to do. You know what to do, Tika shouted, pulling away from him. She sprang to her feet. I just told you. Lady Chrysania is in danger. You've got to go to her. Who is this Lady Chrysania? Karaman yelled back. Why should I give a damn whether she's in danger or not? Listen to me for once in your life. Tika hissed through clenched teeth, her anger drying her tears. Lady Chrysania is a powerful cleric of Paladin, one of the most powerful in the world, next to Elliston. She was warned in a dream that Raceland's evil could destroy the world. 
She is going to the Tower of High Sorcery in Weyrath to talk to Parsalian. To... to get help destroying him? Isn't that it? Caramon snarled. And what if they did? Tika flared. Does he deserve to live? He'd kill you without a second thought. Caramon's eyes flashed dangerously. His face flushed. Tas gulped, seeing the big man's fist clench. Batika walked right up to stand in front of him. Though her head barely came to his chin, Tas thought the big man cowered at her anger. His hand opened weakly. But no, Caramon, Tika said grimly. She doesn't want to destroy him. She's just as big a fool as you are. She loves your brother. May the gods help her. She wants to save him, to turn him from evil. Caramon stared at Tika in wonder. His expression softened. Truly? he said. Yes, Caramon, Tika said warily. That's why she came here, to see you. She thought you might be able to help. Then, when she saw you last night... Caramon's head drooped, his eyes filled with tears. A woman, a stranger, wants to help Raced, and risks her life to do it. He began to blubber again. Tika stared at him in exasperation. Oh, for the love of... Go after her, Caramon! she cried, stamping her foot on the floor. She'll never reach the tower alone, you know that. You've been through the forest of Weyrath. Yes, Caramon said, sniffing. I went with Raced. I took him there so he could find the tower and take the test. That evil test. I guarded him. He needed me. Then. And Chrysania needs you now, Tika said grimly. Caramon was still standing, irresolute, and Taz saw Tika's face settle in firm, hard lines. You don't have much time to lose if you're going to catch up with her. Do you remember the way? I do shouted Toss in excitement. That is, I have a map. Tika and Karaman turned around to stare at the kinder in astonishment, both having forgotten his existence. I don't know, Karaman said, regarding Toss darkly. I remember your maps. One of them took us to a seaport that didn't have any sea. That wasn't my fault, Toss cried indignantly. Even Tannis said so. My map was drawn before the cataclysm struck and took the sea away. But you have to take me with you, Caramon. I'm supposed to meet Lady Chrysania. She sent me on a quest, a real quest, and I completed it. I found... Sudden movement caught Toss's attention. Oh, here she is. He waved his hand, and Tika and Caramon turned to see the shapeless bundle of clothes standing in the door to their bedroom. Only now the bundle had grown two black, suspicious eyes. Me hungry said the bundle to Toss accusingly. When we eat? I went on a quest for Bupu, Tasselhoff Burfoot said proudly. But what in the name of the abyss does Lady Chrysania want with a gully dwarf? Tika said in absolute mystification. She had taken Bupu to the kitchen, given her some stale bread and half a cheese, then sent her back outside, the gully dwarf's smell doing nothing to enhance the comfort of the small house. Bupu returned happily to the gutter, where she supplemented her meal by drinking water out of a puddle in the street. Oh, I promised I wouldn't tell, Toss said importantly. The kinder was helping Karaman to strap on his armor, a rather involved task, since the big man was considerably bigger since the last time he'd worn it. Both Tika and Toss worked until they were sweating, 
tugging on straps, pushing and prodding rolls of fat beneath the metal. Caramon groaned and moaned, sounding very much like a man being stretched on the rack. The big man's tongue licked his lips, and his longing gaze went more than once to the bedroom and the small flask Tika had so casually tossed into the corner. Oh, come now, Toss, Tika wheedled, knowing the kinder couldn't keep a secret to save his life. I'm sure Lady Crisania wouldn't mind. Toss's face twisted in agony. She... she made me promise and swear to Paladin, Tika. The kinder's face grew solemn. And you know that Fizban, I mean Paladin, and I are personal friends. The kinder paused. Suck in your gut, Caramon, he ordered irritably. How did you ever get yourself into this condition, anyway? Putting his foot against the big man's thigh, Toss tugged. Caramon yelped in pain. I'm in fine shape, the big man mumbled angrily. It's the armor. It's shrunk or something. I didn't know this kind of metal shrinks, Toss said with interest. I'll bet it has to be heated. How did you do that? Or did it just get real, real hot around here? Oh, shut up, Caramon snarled. I was only being helpful, Toss said, wounded. Anyway, oh, about Lady Crisania. His face took on a lofty look. I gave my sacred oath. All I can say is she wanted me to tell her everything I could remember about Raceland. And I did. And this has to do with that. Lady Crisania is truly a wonderful person, Tika, Toss continued solemnly. You might not have noticed, but I'm not very religious. Kinder aren't as a rule. But you don't have to be religious to know that there is something truly good about Lady Crisania. She's smart, too. Maybe even smarter than Tannis. Taz's eyes were bright with mystery and importance. I think I can tell you this much, he said in a whisper. She has a plan. A plan to help save Raceland. Bupu's part of the plan. She's taking her to Parsalian. Even Caramon looked dubious at this, and Tika was privately beginning to think maybe Riverwind and Tannis were right. Maybe Lady Crisania was mad. Still, anything that might help Caramon might give him some hope. But Caramon had apparently been working things out in his own mind. You know, it's all the fault of this Fisfistian doodle, or whatever his name was, he said, tugging uncomfortably at the leather straps where they bit into his flabby flesh. You know, that mage Fisban, er, Paladin, told us about? And Parsalian knows something about that, too. His face brightened. We'll fix everything. I'll bring Raceland back here like we planned, Tika. He can move into the room we've got fixed up for him. We'll take care of him, you and I, in our new house. It's going to be fine, fine. Caramon's eyes shone. Tika couldn't look at him. He sounded so much like the old Caramon the caramon she had loved. Keeping her expression stern, she turned abruptly and headed for the bedroom. I'll go get the rest of your things. Wait! Caramon stopped her. No, uh, thanks, Tika. I can manage. How about you, um, pack us something to eat? I'll help, Taz offered, heading eagerly for the kitchen. Very well, Tika said. Reaching out, she caught hold of the kinder by the top knot of hair that tumbled down his back. Just one minute, Tasselhoff Burfoot. You're not going anywhere until you sit down and empty out every one of your pouches. Toss wailed in protest. 
Under cover of the confusion, Caramon hurried into the bedroom and shut the door. Without pausing, he went straight for the corner and retrieved the flask. Shaking it, he found it over half full. Smiling to himself in satisfaction, he thrust it deep into his pack, then hastily crammed some additional clothes in on top of it. Now I'm all set, he called out cheerfully to Tika. I'm all set, Caramon repeated, standing disconsolately on the porch. He was a ludicrous sight. The stolen dragon armor he had worn during the last months of the campaign had been completely refurbished by the big warrior when he arrived back in Solace. He had beaten the dents out, cleaned and polished, and redesigned it so completely that it no longer resembled the original. He had taken a great deal of care with it, then packed it away lovingly. It was still in excellent condition. Only now, unfortunately, there was a large gap between the shining black chain mail that covered his chest and the big belt that girdled his rotund waist. Neither he nor Taz had been able to strap the metal plates that guarded his legs around his flabby thighs. He had stowed these away in his pack. He groaned when he lifted his shield and looked at it suspiciously, as if certain someone had filled it with lead weights during the last two years. His sword belt would not fit around his sagging gut. Blushing furiously, he strapped the sword in its worn scabbard onto his back. At this point, Toss was forced to look somewhere else. The kinder thought he was going to laugh, but was startled to find himself on the verge of tears. I look a fool, Karaman muttered, seeing Toss turn away hurriedly. Bupu was staring at him with eyes as wide as teacups, her mouth hanging open. Him looked just like my high bulb. Fudge the first, Bupu sighed. A vivid memory of the fat, slovenly king of the Gully Dwarf clan, in Zack Saroth, came to Toss's mind. Grabbing the Gully Dwarf, he stuffed a hunk of bread in her mouth to shut her up. But the damage had been done. Apparently Caramon, too, remembered. That does it, he snarled, flushing darkly and hurling his shield to the wooden porch where it banged and clattered loudly. I'm not going. This was a stupid idea anyway. He stared accursingly at Tika. Then, turning around, he started for the door. Batika moved to stand in front of him. No, she said quietly. You're not coming back into my house, Karaman, until you come back one whole person. Him more like two whole person, mumbled Bupu in a muffled voice. Ta stuffed more bread in her mouth. You're not making any sense, Karaman snapped viciously, putting his hand on her shoulder. Get out of my way, Tika. Listen to me, Karaman, Tika said. Her voice was soft, but penetrating. Her eyes caught and held the big man's attention. Putting her hand on his chest, she looked up at him earnestly. You offered to follow Raceland into darkness once. Do you remember? Caramon swallowed, then nodded silently, his face pale. He refused, Tika continued gently, saying it would mean your death. But don't you see, Caramon? You have followed him into darkness and you're dying by inches. Raceland himself told you to walk your own path and let him walk his, but you haven't done that. You're trying to walk both paths, Caramon. Half of you is living in darkness, and the other half is trying to drink away the pain and the horror you see there. It's my fault. Caramon began to blubber, his voice breaking. It's my fault he turned to the black robes. I drove him to it. That's what Parsalian tried to make me see. Tika bit her lip. 
Tas could see her face grow grim and stern with anger, but she kept it inside. Perhaps was all she said. Then she drew a deep breath. But you are not coming back to me as husband or even friend until you come back at peace with yourself. Caramon stared at her, looking as though he was seeing her for the first time. Tika's face was resolute and firm. Her green eyes were clear and cold. Tas suddenly remembered her fighting draconians in the temple of Naraka that last horrible night of the war. She had looked just the same. Maybe that'll be never. Caramon said surly, "Ever think of that, huh, my fine lady?" "Yes," Tika said steadily. "I've thought of it." "Goodbye, Caramon." Turning away from her husband, Tika walked back through the door of her house and shut it. Tika heard the bolt slide home with a click. Caramon heard it too, and flinched at the sound. He clenched his huge fists, and for a minute, Tas feared he might break down the door. Then his hands went limp. Angrily, trying to salvage some of his shattered dignity, Caramon stomped off the porch. "I'll show her," he muttered, striding off, his armor clanking and clattering. "Come back three or four days with the lady Crystal, whatever. Then we'll talk about this. She can't do this to me. No, by all the gods, three four days. She'll be begging me to come back. But maybe I will, and maybe I won't." Ta stood irresolute. Behind him, inside the house, his sharp kinder ears could hear grief-stricken sobbing. He knew that Caramon, between his own self-pitying ramblings and his clanking armor, could hear nothing. But what could he do? "I'll take care of him, Tika," Tosh shouted. Then, grabbing Bupu, they hurried along after the big man. Tosh sighed. Of all the adventures he had been on, this one was certainly starting out all wrong. Chapter Five. Palanthus, fabled city of beauty, a city that has turned its back upon the world and sits gazing, with admiring eyes, into its mirror. Who had described it thus? Kitiara, seated upon the back of her blue dragon, Sky, pondered idly as she flew within sight of the city walls. The late unlamented dragon high lord Ariakas, perhaps. It sounded pretentious enough, like something he would say, but he had been right about the Palantians. Kit was forced to admit. So terrified were they of seeing their beloved city laid waste, they had negotiated a separate peace with the High Lords. It wasn't until right before the end of the war, when it was obvious they had nothing to lose, that they had reluctantly joined with others to fight the might of the Dark Queen, because of the heroic sacrifice of the Knights of Salamnia. The city of Palanthus was spared the destruction that laid other cities, such as Salus and Tarsus, to waste. Kit, flying within arrowshot of the walls, sneered. Now once more, Palanthus had turned her eyes to her mirror, using the new influx of prosperity to enhance her already legendary charm. Thinking this, Kitiara laughed out loud as she saw the stir upon the old city walls. It had been two years since a blue dragon had flown above the walls. She could picture the chaos, the panic. Faintly, on the still night air, she could hear the beating of drums and the clear calls of trumpets. Sky too could hear. His blood stirred at the sounds of war, and he turned a blazing red eye round to Kitiara, 
begging her to reconsider. No, my pet, Kitiara called, reaching down to pat his neck soothingly. Now is not the time, but soon, if we prove successful. Soon, I promise you. Skye was forced to content himself with that. He achieved some satisfaction, however, by breathing a bolt of lightning from his gaping jaws, blackening the stone wall as he soared past, keeping just out of arrow range. The troops scattered like ants at his coming, the dragon fears sweeping over them in waves. Kitiara flew slowly, leisurely. None dared touch her. A state of peace existed between her armies and sanction and the Palantheans, though there were some among the knights who were trying to persuade the free peoples of Ancelon to unite and attack Sanction, where Kitiara had retreated following the war. But the Palantheans couldn't be bothered. The war was over, the threat gone. And daily I grow in strength and in might, Kit said to them as she flew above the city, taking it all in, storing it in her mind for future reference. Palanthus is built like a wheel. All of the important buildings, the palace of the reigning lord, government offices, and the ancient homes of the nobles stand in the center. The city revolves around this hub. In the next circle are built the homes of the wealthy guildsmen, the new rich, and the summer homes of those who live outside the city walls. Here, too, are the educational centers, including the great library of Astinus. Finally, near the walls of Old City, is the marketplace and shops of every type and description. Eight wide avenues lead out from the center of Old City, like spokes on the wheel. Trees line these avenues, lovely trees, whose leaves are like golden lace all year long. The avenues lead to the seaport to the north and to the seven gates of Old City Wall. Surrounding the wall, Kit saw a new city, built just like Old City in the same circular pattern. There are no walls around New City, since walls detract from the overall design, as one of the lords put it. Kitiara smiled. She did not see the beauty of the city. The trees were nothing to her. She could look upon the dazzling marvels of the Seven Gates without a catch in her throat. Well, perhaps a small one. How easy it would be, she thought with a sigh, to capture. Two other buildings attracted her interest. One was the new center being built in the center of the city, a temple dedicated to Paladin. The other building was her destination, and on this one her gaze rested thoughtfully. It stood out in such vivid contrast to the beauty of the city around it that even Kitiara's cold, unfeeling gaze noted it. Thrusting up from the shadows that surrounded it, like a bleached finger bone, it was a thing of darkness and twisted ugliness, all the more horrible because once it must have been the most wonderful building in Palanthus, the ancient Tower of High Sorcery. Shadows surrounded it by day and by night, for it was guarded by a grove of huge oak trees, the largest trees growing on Kren, some of the more well-traveled whispered in awe. No one knew for certain, because there were none, even of the kinder race, which fears little on this world, who could walk in the tree's dread darkness. The Shoikin Grove, Kitiara murmured to an unseen companion. No living being of any race dared enter it, not until he came, the master of past and of present. <laughs>